Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Welcome everyone and thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Roberta Barbiolini and I'm the Technical Manager here at Biopractica. And I'm really excited today to be joined by functional nutritionist Emma Park. Now Emma specialises in gut health and the microbiome. And she has a really busy clinical practice where she's helped thousands of clients optimise their digestive health. Emma is also a professional educator and she's educated healthcare professionals all across Australia and New Zealand on the microbiome and the benefits of probiotics. And Emma specialises in supporting mums and educating maternity care providers about the importance of gut health and the microbiome in those critical first 1,000 days of life. And that is, you know, during that crucial period from conception to two years of age. And her enthusiasm for this field has inspired Emma to create a unique online learning program called The First 1000 Days. This four-part educational program is actually CPE accredited and it provides evidence-based education for healthcare professionals in a self-paced format. And we're really fortunate to have Emma with us today to talk about the microbiome and how it evolves and influences health during pregnancy and breastfeeding. So thank you so much for joining us today, Emma. Thanks for having me. I'm, I just love every opportunity I get to talk about this topic because it's just so important. Well, maybe let's actually start with a bit of a discussion around, you know, yourself, your clinic and how you ended up specialising in this area. Um, sure, no worries. I think I, when I first graduated as a, you know, functional nutritionist, I think I was practising as a holistic nutritionist right at the start, um, gut health just specialized itself I think for me and then <clears throat> excuse me when I um, started working for doing education around probiotics in pregnancy and breastfeeding I really kind of specialized down into that field and also just having to being an educator and having to educate health professionals you have to really stay on top of all the research and it's such a dynamic field that I just you know really became a researcher and educator through that role and then realized how much they love doing that as well and then that kind of morphed into bringing it into really helping uh, you know mums and parents understand that important in pregnancy and breastfeeding I still work outside of that field with clients but it's very much focused on that microbiome and gut health and how that impacts overall health so yeah and it's such a incredible you know, like I said, dynamic field. There's so much new research. We're learning so much. Like from when I first started doing this, you know, like I think I was talking to you before about how we really need to look at the research on every single topic every few months because there's so much new stuff coming out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as someone uh, who also has a real passion for what I like to call the nerdier side of life, I think totally. it's... <laughs> It's so exciting to be in an era where um, there's so much information coming out every day about the human microbiome. And as you said, like, it's also really nice. And then I find, I find also really rewarding to see patients embracing this idea that their digestive system, their microbiota is really important for health. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, it certainly is like people, it's much more common knowledge now how important gut health is. You know, it's, it's not something you have to explain to most people that have an understanding of it. I mean, health is more important now than I think even when I first started practicing, people are much more health conscious. Absolutely. And I mean, today, obviously, we want to focus in on a very specific component of this gut health um, paradigm. And that is, you know, the, the, the gut microbiota during pregnancy and whilst women are breastfeeding. So maybe let's start looking at the, the maternal microbiome during pregnancy. So based on what we currently know, are there specific changes that occur in mum's microbiome during pregnancy? Yeah, definitely. They, they are. And it does change over the pregnancy as well. Um, uh, you know, and when we talk about microbiome, particularly in pregnancy, we need to talk about that all of the microbiomes, not just the gut microbiome. So the other very specific um, microbiomes that are related to outcomes and that change over pregnancy, obviously, is the vaginal microbiome and also the oral microbiome. And that's a bit more of a newer understanding of how much influence the oral microbiome is having over or changing through pregnancy and influence over outcomes in, of pregnancy and also fetal development, you know, all of those kind of outcomes. So yeah, it's, it's um, looking at sort of the changes, the gut stuff's really interesting. Um, towards the end of the pregnancy, it's relatively, most of them are relatively stable at the start and then they sort of progressively change more towards the end and then most notably in third trimester you see changes in the, in the gut microbiome that, that look more like someone with metabolic syndrome in the third trimester. And it's so, so fascinating because it's a, it's a normal physiological reaction and change that's regulated by the microbiome because when we see people in metabolic syndrome, they've got that increased adiposity and increased energy uh, stores and increased energy availability and when you think about that in pregnancy that's going to be super important in third trimester in preparation for birth and breastfeeding um with and the vagina microbiome obviously that also in that third trimester really floods with the the lactobacilli and really increases in its um in the amount to the diversities change the specific lactobacilli are coming in there in preparation for that for the baby to be passing through the birth canal and to be flooded with lactobacilli. The oral microbiome changes as well. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's um, a huge big part of it. And it's really part of that, you know, regulating and monitoring the physiological changes through those trimesters. It's really fascinating. I love this idea that your, your microbiota actually changes, perhaps, you know, the metabolites they're producing to actually influence the mother's metabolism to make her more effective at holding on to energy and to really, as you say, prepare her for that final stage of pregnancy. And then obviously for what's sometimes referred to as the fourth trimester, which is, you know, breastfeeding and that really, really early stage of infancy. Yeah, totally. I love the fourth trimester concept because um, it makes you realise how important fourth trimester is. And yeah. a lot of, and you hear this from a lot of mums as well, they were very much focused and educated and supported through the first three trimesters, but then weren't necessarily as prepared about that fourth trimester. And, you know, what the things they needed to be prepared on or learn about or know about or have a plan, you know, like a lot of mums have a birth plan, um, but then they don't have a, a fourth trimester plan. So I definitely encourage all of my patients to have that fourth trimester plan or have thought about it and what, what are the kind of things that might be happening then. 
Absolutely. And I, and I mean, it sounds like, you know, part of the changes that happen uh, in, in the gut microbiome and, and perhaps in the genitourine microbiome and, and the oral microbiome in that third trimester are really trying to set mum's body up for the fourth trimester as well. Like you were talking about, you know, increased lactobacilli being present, increased sort of gut diversity and this shift towards a more um, metabolic syndrome type, you know, energy conservation based uh, change. Are there any other specific changes that we know that happen in that third trimester to prepare mum for the birthing process and then the fourth trimester? Well, the other sort of microbiome-related suffering, because if we think about the microbiome as a, that regulatory system, you know, it really is that signalling system and that um, regulation. It's the interface between the microbiome, uh, between that sort of microbiome and the mum is that those mucosal layers and we know that they're actually signaling things like not just that metabolic responses, but also hormones and the immune. And so really what we think is happening in third trimester is this um, translocation of bacteria around the body, uh, all microbes, other microbes, not just bacteria. And then there's the um, preparation of the mammary tissue in third trimester. So translocation of bacteria and microbes up there to uh, prepare for breastfeeding and also like it's you know we look at the microbiome as or oh, the microbes particularly in breast milk as passing through to baby but they're also really looking after the health and function of that body tissue and that in the mammary tissue so it's not just actually the live bugs passing through breast milk it's what they're doing when they're there and we also see that at the placenta interface so the research around the placenta microbiome is very contentious. There's there's groups in the you know research globally that that global community looking at placenta research is very um, there's kind of half of them saying yes yes definitely and there's other half saying no 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 there's not it's sterile. But what we definitely see is this uh, the impact of mum's microbiome and the what's happening at the central interface as far as inflammatory mediators and things like metabolites that we discussed before short chain fatty acids and they're influencing that those we could think look at it like priming the infant immune system or the fetal immune system prior to birth so we've got preparation of memory tissue we've got the placental interface which is modulating and modifying and potentially priming the immune system and then we've got that that vagina and the urogenital um, microbiome or microflora that's there in preparation for that um, first major exposure to baby through that birth canal in a, in a physiological birth. That's a really good overview. Thank you so much. And I mean, as you say, you know, the, the, the topic, for example, of the placental microbiome is something that's still evolving. And, and you mentioned before the impact that the maternal oral microbiome could also have on the fetal microbiome and pregnancy. And I find it really fascinating that so much of the, the research in this area is still evolving. It's like there's so much we don't know, isn't there? Oh, so much we don't know. And that, but I think what we definitely do know is that dysbiosis in, in whichever microbiome or whichever sort of body site is having impacts on pregnancy outcomes. It's definitely having impacts on fetal development. And then it's also having impacts on breastfeeding uh, outcomes and fourth trimester outcomes, hormone modulation, bonding, all of these other things that are very much have a microbiome involvement. So I think it's that, you know, that understanding that 
it's it's regulating all of these different physiological responses and that that's its role so we when we look at hormone immune and metabol metabolic and, and even you know neuro neurological development you know it's so important that we're having at first an understanding and then ways that we can modulate that and optimize that because this is that that's the first 1000 days period that's setting up the the microbiome and the immune system and all of the systems of the infant, it's starting in pregnancy. It starts from preconception when you want to look at it like that, you know, like all of the setting, the cellular setup and that, and that's that starting, that starts before we even conceive. So yeah, it's so important. Yeah, I mean, to me, I almost feel like if you can work with a patient, um, both, you know, mum and dad from a preconception perspective and then during pregnancy, it's almost the ultimate form of preventative medicine because you're really helping to influence the, the health of that next generation of, of, of patients, you know, at, at the most critical time in our lives in some ways. Absolutely. And even looking at fertility as well, you know, we have so many people struggling with fertility and that the latest research looking at that compatibility of the microbiomes of the um, of mum and dad and also the seminal microbiome and seminal microflora and how important that is for male fertility and yeah the the um the compatibility determining um you know fertility outcomes and then the endometrium microbiome also you know again that's a lactobacilli dominant um body side and so if we've got dysbiosis or infection that's really impacting implantation so yeah it's it's super important in this whole stage and if we certainly if we can start from preconception then absolutely that's when we want to be start to look at this and optimizing and also if that we're seeing fertility challenges that we're really looking at the microbiome rather than just looking at hormones and um you know what, what traditionally whatever else we look at for fertility yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, you've touched on a couple of points that I would like to probably explore a little bit further. And you've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, dysbiosis during that preconception phase, pregnancy can have, a, have an impact, obviously, on maternal health, but also the, the, the infant's health. Maybe could you take us through a little bit of a discussion around what dysbiosis during pregnancy can actually uh, cause from a, a health and disease perspective? Because unfortunately, we don't always see patients for preconception care. You know, sometimes by the time they come to see us as practitioners, they're already pregnant. So, you know, if, if a mum does have dysbiosis, what are the possible consequences of that? Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely know there's a lot of relationship between gut dysbiosis and conditions like gestational diabetes. Um, also, and, and this is one of my theories, and I'm sure this is going to come out in research, that you know, gestational diabetes, when we think of that normal physiological changes in pregnancy where you would get that sort of result in third trimester, with GDM, we're seeing it uh, expressed too early or it's not being regulated. So it's too, um, you know, like an um, over-response essentially. So that's one of the things in pregnancy we know with gut dysbiosis, um, oral, we're looking at things like preeclampsia. We know when there's vaginal dysbiosis, there's an increased risk in early membrane rupture and preterm birth. And if you think about all of the things that the microbiome is regulating, like we talked about before, the immune response, the metabolic regulation and hormones, you can see how it's going to have a result in all, you know, essentially, you know, problematic pregnancy outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's interesting to think as well that 
the factors that influence our health. It's not just what's going on sort of inside our own bodies, like you said, hormonal factors, immune factors, but that the microbiota uh, in us, around us, on us, are such a tremendous influence on so many of these really critical biochemical pathways and then therefore on health outcomes as well. Absolutely. And, and even if you just take it back down to that, the key regulation factor of inflammation, the inflammation response. And we know that a lot of those negative outcomes are driven by having a dysregulated or, you know, too much inflammation going on in the body, too much LPS, you know, too many inflammatory cytokines. And again, that's what we're seeing at that, plac that placental interface as well, like that microbiome really being um, part of regulating that, that inflammatory response and what kinds of metabolites are there, you know, having that, that really big impact and and that's going to impact all of our pregnancy outcomes absolutely so if i'm working with a pregnant patient what sort of dietary or lifestyle factors do i really need to be on the lookout for emma that could actually be de detrimentally altering that mum's gut vaginal placental oral microbiota um obviously the standard things that we know about that are going to impact that that microbiota and the microbiome's balance, um, things like stress and diet. Obviously, we know diet is, a, is the um, thing that has the biggest influence over our microbiome. We know that, so that's super important. But you've got to look at also their history, um, antibiotics and other medications, like we're seeing a lot come through about the protein pump inhibitors. And so, and they're very commonly used in our, in our population groups. We know that. Also, you know, with what's, what's their history, like not even just in pregnancy, but beforehand about that kind of exposure to those medications, to stress, to diet. How were they born? You know, what was their birth like? Was there a C-section or did they have a vaginal, did, were they a, a vaginal birth? Were they breastfed? You know, so we have to really look at the whole case history. And then once we're in pregnancy, we've obviously got a really good tool with diet. It can be hard in pregnancy because, you know, um, you, or you would, I don't know if you've had babies, have you? But I know myself in my first trimester, all I wanted to eat was carbs and potato chips because I just, could, I had, you know, a bit of morning sickness. So it can be hard. But I think usually once we get a bit later in pregnancy, we can definitely get those, you know, the healthy diet, lots of prebiotics, lots of plant foods, lots of nutrient density, the same way we look after all of our patients. Definitely thinking about pre and probiotics. Like there's enough evidence around you know, pre and probiotics getting really great benefits uh, when we're using, and we know which specific ones we're going to be using with our patients, they're case dependent. There's some great research about specific strains in probiotics for reduce in pregnancy for reducing atopy, for look, um, reducing the likelihood of GBS, so helping to optimize vaginal flora, um, you know, other outcomes, pregnant, uh, breastfeeding outcomes, those kind of things. So we definitely should be thinking about that stuff, but not forgetting to support um, holistically. So stress, because also pregnancy can be quite stressful for mums, particularly if it's their first one and there's lots of unknowns and they're that type of person. So we, we're really wanting to su um, support them holistically where we can, which is the way we practice. So it's the same thing, but we're definitely... If, and if there's dysbio, if we're suspecting gut dysbiosis, then there's likely to be the oral dysbiosis and the vaginal dysbiosis. So we need to ask around them that as well. And we need to assess if, if we can. So looking at vaginal flora, getting tests done. Um, there's, you know, in Australia, we don't have 
access to the oral microbiome test yet. I mean, we, I think we can send to the UK or the US and get them, but it's not, it's expensive and it's a slow process and those kind of things. So we just want to be making sure we're getting good case history and asking about those kind of things. Yeah, and I mean, you know, your point, of course, about testing is really important. And as you say, we don't necessarily have access to the full um, gamut of tests here in Australia. But I often find as well, as you were saying before, if you take a really detailed case history, you can often pick up if there is oral dysbiosis because, you know, the mother might have a history of periodontal disease or dental caries or, mm -hmm. you know, like th there are clues, if you like, that we can look for from a case history perspective. Absolutely. And, and bleeding gums is so yes. common and people don't report that often so you've got to ask the question and also look you know ask the question about the vaginal dysbiosis and because also it's not always symptomatic as well so one of the things i'm seeing now and i don't know if this is happening nationally but in victoria they're doing urine cultures as a standard as a routine part of a pregnancy um, pathology so i don't think they were doing that before but i have had a few patients turn up with a, I've got an asymptomatic UTI that they've mm. up on the urine culture. So I've been prescribed antibiotic, low dose antibiotics for my whole pregnancy. Wow. And I just worry about that because I'm like, they're not testing the whole of the, you know, the microflora or the micro microbiome by PCR testing or any, you know, they're just culturing still. Yeah. And I'm like, what else is there? And is it, is these, you know, we know now about, you know, pathogens versus pathobionts versus pathogens and some pathobionts, you know, they are there for a reason and they're part of a healthy overall microbiome, you know, and it's about this balance. So if they're picking up potentially just the, um, the fact that it's there, that's not necessarily relevant to a clinical problem or, you know, a clinical risk that we need to actually throw a heap of antibiotics out and it's that risk versus benefit so yeah, that, that's another thing that we need to keep an eye on as well. And, and I can't wait until we've got better accessibility to these tests, you know, like so that we can, and it will, it'll become routine screening. Microbiome screening will become routine. Gut, vagina, oral, in pregnancy, and then in every other, you know, um, when we're looking at overall health and wellness. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I'm with you there. I can't wait until it just becomes like a part of mainstream medicine. And, and maybe I'm showing my age here, but you know, when I trained as a naturopath, it was such a, a fringe concept, this idea that we had gut flora and an imbalance in this gut flora could cause health issues. And for me, it's, it's been incredibly gratifying and satisfying to see it become such a mainstream concept because, you know, my ultimate aim, aim as a practitioner is for as many people as possible to be as healthy as possible. So um, I have no problem with the idea of it becoming part of mainstream medicine because the more people that can benefit from this knowledge, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, I really do think the microbiome is the future of medicine. Like really what we understand, I heard someone talk about the other day about how, you know, we used to think one of the reasons we went looking at the human genome and started sequencing that was to look for the genes that were causing disease. Yeah? yeah. And then they found that it's actually the microbial genes that are having a bigger influence over these disease, you know, states and disease progression. <clears throat> So it's so fascinating because if we have a better understanding of what they're doing for disease, we have a better understanding of what they can do for health. So yeah, Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, one of the, the cornerstones of a lot of the work that you do is this focus on the fact that our almost like our native or indigenous gut microflora is really established in those first critical 1,000 days. 
So can I ask if we look at the influence on the maternal microbiome on the infant just during pregnancy, what impact does mum's microbiota have on the developing um, fetus and on the infant in those nine months in utero? Um, well, we certainly know that it's mum's microbiome that is that the baby's getting mostly. Like there's environmental factors, there's other factors that, that impact that uh, transmission. So things like birth mode and feeding mode and antibiotics and other things like that. But essentially their mums are that custodian of the microbiome for their baby. So it has all of the impacts. It, it's really the, that she's in she's very much responsible or, you know, um, it's, this is what happens in nature for her, her baby's microbiome. And that relates to all of the outcomes like we've been talking about. So it's, it's very influential over all of the outcomes. We know that we're seeing through research, you know, that with the dysbiosis in pregnancy and also in early infancy relating to later outcomes like atopy and obesity and allergy and all of the different diseases are really, the risk is increased when we've got dysbiosis at any point through the first 1000 days. So this is our setup stage, you know, like then, and then, and it's so much involved in the training of the immune system, the training of the metabolic response, the hormone balance. So we, you know, we look at it in that, that picture, you can see how that, why that's having such big outcomes. So we want to get onto it as soon as we can. We're optimizing at every point across the first 1000 days. Yeah, and I think that's it's, it's a great overview of that process because what I tend to find sometimes when you talk to people about this idea of, you know, the infant microbiome and it being established, to me, there seems to be a really strong emphasis and perhaps too much focus just on the actual birth process itself, um, which obviously is part of that first 1,000 days. But could you maybe comment for us, Emma, on what actually happens during the birthing process and, and how critical is that, you know, that idea of a natural birth versus a cesarean birth in establishing the infant's microbiome? Well, obviously it's a big influencer. Uh, in a physiological birth, the baby's going to be flooded with the lactobacilli that's ideally in the vaginal canal. But again, it's like, it's not always there, you know, in, in a healthy mum and a healthy microbiome, healthy vaginal flora, then there's a lot of lactobacilli. So that is definitely having an impact. What the research shows us is that there's a very big difference in the birth mode um, between the vaginal delivery and the C-section, particularly in the first three months. It potentially normalises by about six months, but we're seeing that when there is changes in this first three months, that that's all that needs to happen to impact these lifetime outcomes. So even if it has normalised by that six-month period, we're still seeing those negative, potentially negative impacts. The other thing that happens in a C-section routinely is antibiotics. So we actually see that that's probably having a more of an impact than the absence of that exposure to the lactobacilli. Um, because when there's intrapartum antibiotics given in a vaginal birth, it's still having those impacts to the infant gut. So ideally vaginal, obviously it's super important. Like nature doesn't do things for no reason. So. <laughs> When we, when we look at that early infant microbiome, it's actually interesting that the lactobacilli are there, but they're not major colonizers. So it's more fecal flora that we see, so mum's fecal flora that we see in those early stages. So in a physiological birth, there would be exposure to fecal flora as well. So that's what, we're, that's what we think we're seeing, but there's so many variables that's very hard area to research because what's happening in that first week is there been colostrum, has there been breastfeeding, has there been 
birth trauma? Has there been separation? Was there skin to skin? You know, like there's all these other variables that, you know, we're not, we haven't really been able to research really, really well. So there's a couple of studies going on at the moment. There's one in Canada, the Canadian child study, which is amazing. They've got a big cohort and they're looking at, they're doing, you know, stool sampling, testing all the way from pregnancy up until at the moment they're up to eight years old with the kids and they've got funding to follow them through to 12 and they're hoping to follow them through right through until for their whole life. And we've, we've also got one starting in Australia at the moment, which is really awesome. Get on this if you're a practice and follow this because it's going to be amazing. It's called the Mothers and Babies Study. So they've got 2,000 mums and they're testing their microbiomes and all of the other things as well, but from preconception. So this is one of the first studies where it's actually looked at it from preconception all the way through pregnancy. We're looking at delivery. They've Again, they've got funding up until 12 months and then potentially to 10 to 15 years, they're going to follow these um, babies and children and, and the development. It's really cool. They're also looking at the father's samples, which is something that hasn't been done before. So there's, you know, we're definitely learning more about it. It's a fantastic research study. Can I ask who's actually doing that research? Like, is it coming out of one of the universities? Or yeah, what? the New South Wales, the University of New South Wales, I think. Do awesome. we, can we put stuff in show notes? Is there yeah, yeah, absolutely. a link to it? If you just Google the Mothers and Babies Study New South Wales, you'll, you'll find it. And there's, I think they're still recruiting as well. So if they're looking for people that are planning to become pregnant so that they can get the tests in first and they've just had their first baby in the last couple of months which is so really exciting. And that, that other Canadian study that, you know, they're further advanced. They're, do, they're looking at a lot of parameters in that study. And it's a, um, you know, there's lots of different researchers that have joined in. They've got a really big cohort. And that was the one that they showed that, um, it, you know, what's happening in that birth mode, but also what's happening straight after that, as far as um, breastfeeding or formula feeding. And they found that even one, exposure of one bottle of formula really changed that early microbiome in babies still to three months because they they had really good data in that study where they looked at you know what was happening in that first week was there formula exposure was there colostrum you know or was there absence of that and what they also found was that and this is, happens in Australia as well, that sometimes there was formula exposure in hospitals that the parents didn't know about. Oh, wow. So this is something we need to be aware about as well because this happens for us. So if we've got patients that you're asking them, babies presenting potentially with colic or reflux or an allergy type presentation in the early days, and even if they're exclusively breastfed, they may have been exposed to formula. And even that one exposure can change that microbiome quite dramatically in that first three months. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Like, and the way they got that data was because they had hospital records as well as the reported records from parents and mums, you know? So, and that also happens, and I know some stats from Australia, that happens quite too much than is okay in Australian hospitals as well, particularly in private hospitals. They still very much will use a formula top up without getting parents' permission. So people yeah, I mean know that. I think the interesting thing about that particular um, issue is that that's where I think research is really critical because I think we all know that one of the ways that you change mainstream or conventional medical practice is to make sure there's really good evidence to support yeah. a particular practice. So, you know, for me, it highlights, again, the value of some of the trials that are going on to help to kind of change standard practice. Yeah, 
Yeah. And it's frustratingly slow, but that's the way it happens. Yeah. Now yeah. a couple of, one thing that you have mentioned a couple of times, which I'm absolutely fascinated about, and I'd like to do a bit more exploration is this idea of a breast milk microbiome. So excuse me if this is a really ignorant question, but does breast milk actually contain microbes and how on earth do they get there? Totally breast milk contains microbes. Yeah. So it's got, it's that they're live bugs. Um, and there's a couple of theories about how it gets there, like the enteromammary circulation or that was one of the hypothesis, but not just, not just the gut, but also from the oral microbiome. So the may, I just say, I explain it like this, that it's coming from the major reservoirs, which we're really talking about gut, vagina and oral and being translocated through the body, either the, the, through the blood, the hematogenitus, I never say that word, I just say through the blood, and also um, through the lymphatic system. So we know that it moves through the blood, the theory that it's moving through the lymphatic system as well. So they're the two theories about how it moves around. So we've got this translocation that's starting in third trimester in preparation. So there's definitely bugs in there and they're selected. And this was what I, this is one of the things I love about breast milk. I love lots of things about breast milk. Don't <laughs> get them started. This would be, could be a big rabbit warren, but um, that it's selecting all of the most, the best, spe the best species and strains and putting them into the breast milk because they're having the, the, you know, the most influence or that's when we start to look at breast milk probiotics, how amazing they are because they're the ones that are going to have the most, um, influential or the widest range of mechanisms. So we've got in breast milk, we've got the actual live bugs. So they're getting in there in preparation and they're passing through the baby. But like I said before, they're also looking after the, the mammary tissue and the health and function, regulating all of the things that the microbiome does in the gut, you know, inflammatory response, uh, immuno, immuno response. So immunological things and, and, and the, um, the, most magical part is when the baby's suckling at the breast, the actual, you may have heard of this or not, but lots of people haven't, but that there's this spit back reflex. And so mm. in the baby's saliva, the actual, you know, the mammary tissue and the, and the immune system and the microbiome of mum and microflora in mum is actually detecting what the baby needs and then synthesizing or selecting those particular bacteria, but also the HMOs, like the, the prebiotics in breast milk, the human milk oligosaccharides. So they work together with the actual live um, microbes and, and probiotics to actually really colonize and determine what's happening in the baby's microbiome. So yeah, I know I, I morphed into the HMOs there, but they're such a very big, they're such a huge part of what's happening in baby's gut and microbiome development, digestive development, immune development, that they really need to be put up there as important as the live bugs themselves. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I think, you know, that's a really good kind of introduction and overview for practitioners maybe who haven't really worked in this area a lot as to, you know, what the, the breast milk microbiome is and the role that it plays. And I guess what it makes me think, Emma, is what happens if mum cannot breastfeed for some reason? And then what can we do as practitioners maybe to still help to support maternal health and infant health in that situation? Yeah, totally. So we help them choose the right formula for them. So, the, and formulas are getting better. Like they really are. They definitely understand the role that HMOs have now. So HMOs are the human milk oligosaccharides. So all of our practitioners are going to be familiar with fructo-oligosaccharides mm. and lactose, our prebiotics that we use, so the human milk ones. So 
in the absence of human milk oligosaccharides, mm. we've got FOS and GOS that we can use. Most of the formulas these days will have some kind of prebiotic in there. Mm. The companies that are making formula, some of them are great and some of them are doing a lot of research into how they can put, make their prebiotics more like HMOs. And they have been able to do that in some ways. Some of the mechanisms of HMOs is that they are anti-inflammatory and they help develop that, um, the digestive tract. They also act as decoys to pathogens. So they actually, and when you think about this in that context of, baby's first exposure to certain pathogens, then the actual HMOs are being decoys. So they'll sit in the, in the gut and the lining of the gut and act as a receptor and, and um, engulf the pathogen. So it's not even having an impact with baby. So they've actually been able to get some of those, the, um, the, the, why we call them the synthetic prebiotics that they're adding into formula to be able to have that mechanism. So they can still do the decoys. They've definitely bifidinergic. So they're still going to be driving that growth of the bifido uh, dominant microbiome, which is what we want in our babies. So there, they're getting better. So I would be looking at quality of um, formulas, looking at that history of bubs. Are they going to be likely to have a cow's milk protein allergy? So they might be better on one of the hydrolyzed formulas or one of the other um alternatives so yeah looking definitely at, at what's what's specific for that um baby like what might their needs be going on their case history and mum's health as well but also just um you if if they're fine and they've just gone on to a standard formula that's all good making sure that we're adding fos gos and probiotics as well so this is where probiotics are really really important and it is a time that you would be giving them to baby because otherwise the absence of them is a greater risk. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because, you know, I know sometimes this idea of giving probiotics to infants, particularly really, really young infants, you know, in those first sort of three months, six months of life, it can be sometimes a bit controversial. I mean, my personal uh, philosophy is that sometimes, as you say, the absence of good probiotic support is more of a problem. You know, it, it's a risk versus benefit kind of yeah. equation for me. I mean, what's your perspective on the use of probiotics in really early infancy? Um, totally. There's enough evidence that it's beneficial. And um, particularly we know which are the right strains and doses. You know, when yeah. we're using appropriate strains and doses, there's enough evidence to tell us what to pick. We know that already. But when we look in... Um, into the preemie babies and what they're using in the NICUs and then in the neonate wards, they're giving them they're giving the babies probiotics and having huge um, benefits, better outcomes as far as neck and even um, just all of their outcomes are improved when they're given probiotics. And this is really preemie babies. So when we're using the appropriate strains and doses, then I think it's super beneficial and the, the risk versus benefit you know, we, we choose quality ones, we choose appropriate strains, we choose appropriate doses, then when the risk is virtually zero and the benefit is huge. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I have to say, Emma, that's been just a fantastic overview of this whole concept. Maybe just as a final question, can I ask if, if one of our listeners wants a little bit more information, they want to do a bit more of a deep dive into this topic of, you know, pregnancy and breastfeeding, microbiome influences, where can they go? Have you got some resources you can direct us to? Yeah, definitely. Well, definitely the My First 1000 Days program covers all this in great detail. So this, it's I, like I said, I, I'm looking at the new research coming up all of the time. And so I developed this online learning program that, that gave me more time to go right into it because there's complex, the complexity in it 
and to understand those all of the underlying physiological you know responses and impacts and i also talk about probiotic strains and i talk about prebiotics and so specific ones for mums and babies so there's a lot of information in that in that program as well um you know you can do your own research totally there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of uh, information out there but yeah i think following the research can be very time consuming let me tell you because there's so much coming out so I, that was one of the reasons that i did that first 1000 days specifically for health professionals that we could really dig into the you know all of the um complexities of it and also have really good clinical guidelines about how we best support our mums and bubs through this first 1000 days period that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Emma, and for sharing all that amazing information and your wealth of knowledge. It was a really a fascinating discussion. It's, yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And like I said, I just love every opportunity to talk about this because the more people that know about it, the better. And, the, you know, we're making future humans now and we're having such a, there's, you know, there's, there's so much impact happening in this life stage that's causing negative outcomes we've got these tools that we can help modulate that and we can help optimize it absolutely and i also just wanted to say thank you to all of those of you who tuned in i really hope you found our discussion as interesting and useful and insightful as i did and please tune in next week to hear another great podcast episode from us here at biopractica to continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources please head to biopractica.com Bio Practica, empowering healthcare professionals.